Everybody repeat out loud after me. Failure doesn't have to be final. Let's say that again. Failure doesn't have to be final. How many of you are glad for that? <laughs> How many of you be honest enough to admit you've failed somewhere along the way? Okay. Now, let's kind of take it to a little deeper level. How many of you would be willing to admit that you've not only failed, but that you have failed in ways that are huge, ways, ways that you are even embarrassed to even admit out loud? How many would say, yeah, I've, I've failed some of those ways? Well, I want to talk about uh, that today in this message. You know, we're, we're looking at this series called Miraculous, and we've been looking at the different ways that God works in miraculous ways in our lives and the lives uh, in our world around us. And often when we think of miracles, we think of God that's, you know, stuff that God does, you know, parting the Red Seas or the Jordan River or healing people miraculously, that kind of thing. Often we don't think about the fact that God can do some pretty miraculous stuff in our lives or through our lives, particularly when we failed. That's what I want to talk about today. And in the, one of the stories from the Gospels that uh, is just a great storyline, though it's tragic in some ways, it's a great storyline, is the storyline of the Apostle Peter. If you remember, Peter was one of Jesus's closest followers. Uh, he was one that, you know, Jesus said, you know, you're Peter the rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. And, you know, he was one of the, one of the inner crowd, you know, the, the inner three that Jesus really confided in. But if you follow the storyline of the Gospels, when it came to the last night that Jesus was with his disciples, and they were sitting around at the table sharing together, Jesus said to his disciples, you know what, you're all going to run away from me. You're all going to leave me. And they were all like, what? You know, they, and they were arguing, no, you know, they're not going to do that. And, uh, and Peter said, Lord, I, I would never deny you. And Jesus said, yeah, Peter, you will. And in fact, you got to love Peter. Uh, he had quite a bit of arrogance about him. He reminds me a lot of me sometimes. And uh, Peter says, you know what, Lord, even even if all of these losers deny you, I will never deny you. And you remember what Jesus said? He said, you know, Peter, tonight, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny you know me three times. And, and Peter couldn't believe it. And then, of course, if you know the story, Jesus gets arrested. And as they take him away, Peter kind of follows from a distance and uh, he makes his way into the courtyard, and somebody says, I don't have, didn't I see you with him? And Peter said, no, you don't know what you're talking about. And another guy said, no, I, I think I saw you with him. And Jesus, you know, Peter said, no, you, you didn't. You know, you're, you're crazy. And, and then another one said, no, I'm sure I saw you with him. And Peter swears with an oath, no, I don't even know this guy. And then he hears the rooster crow. And the words that Jesus spoke came back to him. Now, I just want you to stay with me for a second. Can you imagine the weight of failure that Peter felt in that moment? One of the gospel writers says that it was at that moment that Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine Peter seeing Jesus look at him, knowing what he had just said, knowing that even though Jesus told him this is what was going to happen, he did it anyway. You know, the Bible says that Peter was so overwhelmed with shame that he, he ran out of there weeping loudly. How do, you, how do you come back after something like that? 
How do you keep on living after you have failed so miserably? Well, Peter did. In fact, what we see is seven weeks later, Peter's gathered together with the apostles on the day of Pentecost, and, and the Holy Spirit comes. And, and, and the Holy Spirit settles upon them. And this was the beginning of a whole new era for the church. And this, this Peter who was so backward, this Peter who lived in denial, this Peter who was too embarrassed to even admit that he knew Jesus, feels this nudge of the Holy Spirit to stand up in front of this large crowd of people and preach. And he does. And Peter gets up and he begins to just pour out what Jesus has done. And he, he shows the people through Scripture who, who Jesus really was. And, and let's throw that passage of Scripture up on the screen. This is on your outline. And from Acts chapter 2, uh, beginning at verse 37, it says, And as Peter was preaching through the crowd, it says that Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, <coughs> excuse me, for the forgiveness of your sins. Read the last sentence with me. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. What a comeback. Here's a guy who failed miserably, and yet out of his failure, God did something amazing. Now, I, I don't know how you have failed in your life. You may have failed and have a failed marriage. Uh, you may have a, a, a failure in your personal life. You may, like Peter, have made promise to God that you never lived up to. Uh, you may have feel like you failed yourself or your family. You may have failed financially. I don't know how you may have fallen flat on your face. But if you're like most of us, one of the questions you're asking is, how, how do you come back from this? Well, that's what I want to talk about today. Because I really believe that Peter is a great model for us of the miracles that God can do in our life when we bring our failures to him. How can you have a comeback? You ready? I want you to take your sermon outline out with me. I want you to track along with me as, as we walk through some of this. By the way, we have Bibles in the pews. They are both in English and in Spanish. And if you need a Bible, please feel free to take one of those Bibles home with you. Uh, they're our gift to you. If you know someone who needs a Bible, feel free to take one for them. But I want you to track along, and I, I want you to keep in the back of your mind this failure that has kind of been looming over you, and, and I want you to let Peter be a model of how do we come all the way back when we've fallen on our face. Are you ready? Here we go. Some of this stuff is going to be a little painful. I'm going to tell you in the front end, but it's great stuff. Here's the first step. I'm going to tell you it's the hardest. You have to own your failure before you can come back from it. You have to own your failure before you can come back from it. You know, the great news is that God promises us that he's willing to forgive us no matter what we've done. We've talked about this in, in the past few weeks, the fact that God's grace is greater than all of our sin. But, but the issue for us is we have to be willing to own our failure and bring it to God before he can really do, deal with it. Proverbs 28, 13, I love this. He says, whoever conceals their sin, you know what? They do not prosper. Read it out loud with me. But the one who confesses and renounces them finds 
Finds what? How many of you could use a little of that today? Yeah, yeah. I love what David says in Psalm 51. David in this psalm is writing about um, his own sin as he committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband killed. And as God confronted him with through the prophet Nathan and, and he's dealing with, with his own stuff. I want you to look at what David said because he just gets right to the core of it. Read it with me. He says, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you that it's getting to that place of brokenness it is the hardest part for most of us. Because if you're like me, I don't like to admit when I failed. I don't like to admit when I've messed up. That pushes against that arrogant nature that I have. I, I, I don't want to believe that. In fact, I, as I was thinking about this week, I thought, man, this, this really is the hardest step. And, and I think it's something that we learn at an early age. How many, how many of you have kids or have had kids along the way? Yeah. Have you ever noticed how kids don't like to admit when they've messed up? I, I, I saw several examples. Of, watch this video. This is so cute. Here's a great example hey, of kids not owning it. Did, did you eat a cupcake? No. You didn't eat a cupcake? No, I wasn't at home. You sure you didn't eat a cupcake? No. Hmm. I thought you maybe had a cupcake. No. No? No. Definitely not? No. Not like in the last couple minutes? No. No cupcake for Jack? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> How many of you go, that's my kid? Yeah, yeah, that's my kid. Well, I thought, you know, Jack, Jack is just a classic example of all of us, I think, at some degree, because it's so hard for us sometimes, even, even though the cupcake's all over our face, it's hard for us to just own the mistakes and the failures that we have. And I want to give, give you three ways we don't own our failure, because I think we all do it a little bit differently. Even some of us who think we're owning it, we're not really owning it. And this is really important stuff. Three ways we don't own it. One is when, when we simply deny that we failed. We simply deny that we failed. <laughs> we, were, we were laughing with, with Nate and Allison not long ago talking about when, when Nathan was real young and we lived in Pennsylvania, there were ski slopes that were about 45 minutes from our house. And we used to take the boys night skiing on Monday nights when it was half price and half price again. And, and uh, Nathan was probably four or five years old. He had skis that were about the size of rulers, you know, I mean, they're just really... And uh, we were up there, and, and kids have no fear, you know, and their center of gravity is low. And we got up on the mountain, and, um, and I'm going to ski down with Nathan, and Nathan just takes off. I mean, he's just got to, he didn't even have poles. He's got his hands on his knees, and he's boom, boom, boom. You know, he's just flying down the mountain, and I'm racing down to catch him. And as I'm getting get behind him to just kind of keep an eye on him, all of a sudden, he catches something, and he falls, and he goes into a somersault. Now he's rolling down the mountain. I mean, literally, and all of a sudden, he just stands right back up on the skis again and keeps going. I mean, it was amazing. I mean, it was like, oh, I wish I'd had that on video. I'd have won some, you know, funniest home video thing. And, and it, was so, it was so funny. And we get to the bottom, and he's, he's already at the bottom. And I come skiing down. I, I ski up beside him. I said, bud, are you okay? He goes, I meant to do that. Yeah. Well, he didn't, you know. But, but it's hard for us sometimes, sometimes when we fail. Come on, let's be honest. Sometimes we just deny it. I, I really, that really didn't happen or I, 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 I didn't really do it. And when we deny, we don't own it. 
Secondly, and kind of tied to this, and this is some, what some of us do, is we, we don't own it when we minimize the failure. When we minimize it. And I'm going to tell you, there's some of us that do this. This is when we fail, but we're not willing to own the depth of our failure. This is when we say, okay, you know what? Yeah, come on. I did it, but it's not that bad. It's not that big of a thing. Everybody does it. You fill in the blanks on that. But this is when we're trying to gloss over our failure. We're not really owning it in our heart. We're not really broken about it. We just, we just want everybody else to get past it. Are you with me? And the third one is something that I guarantee a lot of us do. And that is we don't own it when we blame the failure on someone else. When we blame the failure on someone else. Come on. How many of you be honest enough, man, I do that once in a while. Yeah, yeah, we, we blame. It's, you know, it's my wife's fault. It's my husband's fault. It's the kid's fault. It's, you know, it's my mom's fault. You, you, you can fill in the blame. But, but sometimes instead of really, you know, owning the failure, we go, yeah, I said that. But, you know, I wouldn't say that if you didn't do that. Or if that wouldn't happen, then I wouldn't have done what I did. And so we, we excuse ourselves, again, rather than owning it in our heart and allowing God to break us for what we've done, we blame what we've done on someone else. Now, look at me. I, I love you, but here's the deal. You'll never come back for failure, from failure until you own your failure. And I mean own it fully and completely and allow God to break your heart with it. Amen? Amen? Amen. Now, the second piece of this kind of is, is, is an also hard, and that, that is when we do own it and we allow God to break our, break our heart, when we confess it to God and we allow God to forgive us, the second piece is also hard, and Peter had to do this, and that is you have to forgive yourself. You have to forgive yourself. And that's hard to do sometimes. You know, again, as I was camping on this thought this week, I thought, how hard must it have been for, for Peter, even though Jesus forgave him, how hard was it for him to really come to a place where he was able to forgive himself? Um, you know, a, a few weeks ago in a message, I, I was talking about um, how the enemy uses our failures against us. And I talked about the fact that the Bible says when we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, when we confess it and, and lay it before God, God takes it. He puts it in his sea of forgetfulness. Remember what I said? But I said the enemy takes it and he puts it in a file folder. And what he does is he uses that against you. About the time you're, you're feeling good about your walk with God or about the time you're feeling the nudge of God to, to step up and do something for him, about the time that you're in a time of prayer where you're wanting to believe God for more, that's the time when the enemy pulls that file folder out and reminds you of the sin that God has already forgiven you for. And that's where you have to be able to claim the forgiveness that God gives you, listen to me, even when you don't feel like you've been forgiven. Now, for those of us who are heart people and who have a, a lot of emotion that we feel, this is really tough for us. I want to put this statement on your outline. And just because you feel guilty, it doesn't mean you are. And this is one of the pieces of my own journey because I struggle with shame. 
This is one of the pieces in my own journey where I've had to take God at his word even when my emotions doesn't, don't want to allow me to believe it. I love the passage of scripture from 1 John 3.20. Read it out loud with me. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. You know, one of the thoughts that hit me is, you know, when, if you're shame-based, one of the things that happens is you want to punish yourself for what you did. You want to do that. And have you realized what that is? That's you wanting to take the place of Jesus. That's you wanting to play God for you. And I realized one of the things that as I was you know, praying and walking through this message this last week, one of the things that God was showing me, he said, Steve, whenever, whenever you want to beat yourself up over what you've done, you're wanting to take my beatings away from me. You're, you're wanting to, to, to redeem yourself of your own sin. And that's why I wrote this statement in, in your notes. <clears throat> there is only one Savior worthy of dying for your sins, and you are not him. There's only one worthy of dying for your sin, and you are not him. And I know it's not always easy to let go of it, but it is. I, I was, had a, a letter that I had kept uh, of a guy who had made a post. He had talked about his struggle with addictions through the years, and the title of his post was called Forgiving Me. And uh, in, in this post that he wrote, he, he wrote a letter to himself uh, telling himself of the things that he had observed and he needed to let go of. And I thought it was, I thought it was so good. And one of the things he said, his name was Lance. He said, Lance, you are controlled. He, now, again, he's writing this to himself. Lance, you are controlled by a sickness that is incurable. Do you realize that? If so, trust in what you are learning here. Understand that a true acceptance of powerlessness is releasing your past, surrendering to God, and forgiving yourself. Listen to this. And you must do this every day. If you struggle with forgiving yourself for failure, one of the great exercises you can do is wake up in the morning and say this. Lord, I thank you again for your grace that has forgiven me. Would you give me the strength again today to forgive myself? That powerlessness before God. You see, when we want to beat ourselves up, we want to climb up on the cross that is only fit for Jesus. And when there's only one Savior, and we are not him. Amen? Peter had to forgive himself. We had to forgive ourselves. There's another piece that's hidden, not hidden, that's kind of buried in the story of Peter that's really powerful and, and very important. And that is, if you really want to come back all the way, you also have to reconnect to community. You have to reconnect with, to community. You see, one of the things that happens for us is when we fail, we, we want to isolate. Uh, when we feel really bad about something that we've done or something that we've said, when, when we're allowing the enemy just to beat us up uh, about it, one of the things that we like to do is we like to just pull away. We like to hide ourselves away. We like to hide in our hurt and hide in our pain and hide in our shame. And we don't realize that when we're hiding ourselves away like that, all we're doing is making ourselves vulnerable for the enemy just to beat up on us, hiding in that cave all by ourselves. 
That's, I put this statement on your, out, on, on your outline. The deadliest ally of failure is isolation. The deadliest ally of failure is isolation. This is where the enemy wants you to stay away from the community because he knows that the moment that you are around other people and you begin to receive grace from them, your heart begins to melt and you turn yourself more tender toward God. You want a great picture of what you look like when you isolate? I, I saw this last week. It was in a, a news story about um, sheep in Australia, these uh, merino sheep who sometimes get away from their owners and get out in the bush and live by themselves. And when they do that, they're, they're not able to be sheared or shorn. What's the, what's the proper word there? Doesn't matter. It's, you know what I'm talking about. They cut off the wool. Well, these the sheep will get out in the wilderness, and, and this wool just keeps growing. And uh, there was one in the news about five years ago, uh, a sheep by the name of Chris, and he had gotten away from the owners. He'd been out in the bush. There had been hikers and people who had spotted him, but nobody could really catch him until they finally caught him after about five years of being on his own. And this is what he looked like. Throw this. And that's sad. That's 90 pounds worth of wool. Now, I want, you to, I want you to just see, because this is such a great picture of what happens to us when we isolate. Because this wool was growing up, just like the shame grows up around us. And you notice that it's almost blinding him. That, that shame or that wool was almost blinding the sheep. And that's what happens when we isolate. We, we become blind. We, we don't really see things as they are. And, and we become afraid. And, and you know, we're, we're bound by all these lies. And he can barely eat. I mean, he can barely get down to, to get grass to even eat. And that's what happens to us. We stop eating. We, we get away from the word. We get away from prayer. We get away from the people of God. And the longer we do this, this stuff, and if he had stayed out there, he would have died. He would have died. He would, he would have literally not been able to feed himself. And this is what he looked like after they caught him and they, and they shaved him. Here's what he looked like. Throw that next picture up on the screen. Not a cutie. Now, throw that next picture up. This is what he looks like side by side, before and after. God doesn't want us to isolate. Um, when we do, we make ourselves vulnerable. Now, I want you to get this. In the story of, the, of, of Christ on the cross, there are two great storylines of failure. One was Peter, the other was Judas. When Peter came to terms with his failure, he left the courtyard weeping bitterly, but he ended up back with his brothers. Judas, he tried to bear the shame all alone. And what happened to Judas, folks? He killed himself. He was so overwhelmed. Throw that picture back up on the screen for me you just had there for a second. He's the guy on the left so overwhelmed by shame that he died. Failure is not something that we're made to bear alone. Now, I want you to look at what Jesus said. Jesus knew Peter was going to fail, and yet I want you to look at the wisdom Jesus gave Peter, even at the beginning, Luke twenty-two thirty-two. He says, he's talking about how Satan's wanting to get him. He says, but Simon, I have prayed for you that your faith will be strong. Now read it with me out loud. 
And when you have come back to me, help the others. In other words, Jesus is, is telling Peter up front, go back to the brethren, get around the brethren. They're going to be dealing with the same shame you are. Help one another through this struggle. There is power. God said it's not good for man to be alone. And I think one of the hardest pieces of this, when, when we fail and we're really wanting to overcome failure, is bringing someone else in on the loop of this so that we can really find the healing that we need. James 5, 16. James said it well. Read it with me out loud. If you have sinned, you should tell each other what you have done. Then you can pray for one another and be healed. I always tell people, if you want forgiveness, you can talk to God. But if you want freedom, tell God and another friend. I, I wish you all would have been here Thursday night when we had the graduation for our CR group who had gone through the step study. It's about eight months of walking through the 12 steps together as a group. And uh, we had a chance Thursday night to, to celebrate that accomplishment. And what was just mind-blowing to me was how person after person, they let all of them share a small piece of their testimony, and person after person got up in front of the group, and they were talking about what they had wrestled with and, and, and the help that, that this step study had given them. But every single one of them made this statement, I could not have done this without the support of my friends in the group. I could not have done this without my stepbrothers, my stepsisters who were, who were walking with me through this. Every single one of them didn't just confess their sins to God. They confessed them to one another, which is why they are finding healing. And that's what we need. Let me give you one more thought. If you want to come back all the way, you have to embrace God's rebuilding grace. You have to embrace God's rebuilding grace. When I was thinking about what happened for Peter, you know, Peter could have just received the forgiveness of God and we could have never heard from him again. But Peter knew God wasn't done with him. And so even though this failure was a, a horrible, painful thing for him to embrace, he embraced another level of this, and that was pushing through the shame to allow God to use him again in, in a new and different and better way. It, it reminded me when I was thinking about it, it reminded me of the story of, of Jeremiah when God took, took Jeremiah to a potter and he was trying to show him what he can do with a broken and fallen people. And, and uh, he was watching this potter who was making the clay and it wasn't turning out right. I want you to look at the passage of scripture from Jeremiah 18.4. Read it out loud with me. It says, whenever a piece of pottery turned out imperfect, he would take the clay and he would Make it into something else. Now, what if I told you God could not only forgive you of your failure, what if I told you God could build on top of that failure and make something beautiful and something good? You see, there, there, as I was processing this, I realized there, there are three levels of God's grace that we ought to be really grateful for. One is God's revealing grace. 
And that's where God shows us our sin. He shows us our failure. He helps us see what we've done so that we can own it. The second is God's redeeming grace. And God's redeeming grace is where we own the failure, we confess it to him, and God is willing to forgive us and erase the past. But then there is a rebuilding grace. And that's where God takes that past and he builds something new out of it. And I'm gonna tell you, that's what God did for Peter. And that's what God can do for you. There is a, um, a form of artwork uh, in Japan called kintsugi. That word is formed from two Japanese words, ken, which means gold, and sugi, which means to uh, join together or togetherness. And in this form of art, what happens is these pottery workers take these broken vessels, broken plates, broken vases, uh, broken bowls, and they put them back together. But the way they put them back together is they, they take this lacquer and they put gold dust in it or they put silver dust in it or they put platinum dust in it. And where these cracks used to be, they use it and it forms these incredibly beautiful gold designs. Looks something like this. Throw that up on the screen for me. It's not what it used to be. And at one time, it was broken into pieces. But with just the touch of a master's hand, these broken pieces are made into something new. And you see those gold lines that's what the grace of God can do with your failure today. I'm not going to tell you that you're going to get to go back and do it all over because you're not. But I'm going to tell you that if you will own your failure and you will bring it to God, if you'll let him reveal that failure to you so that you can really look at it, if you will take that failure and you'll confess it to him, you, you'll experience that revealing grace, you'll experience that redeeming grace, and if you will fully give that failure over to God, like Peter, you can experience God's rebuilding grace. What God did with Peter's life was nothing short of miraculous and that's what God can do with you Rachel is going to lead us in a song and it's a great song about God's grace and the ability to cover us wherever we are and I want to offer you just these next couple of moments as just a, a private time to pray and connect with God and I don't know what your failure is. I have no idea. It doesn't matter. I want to offer you the opportunity next few moments just to bring that failure to God. And you can do that right where you sit. If some of you'd like to come out, you're welcome to step out, come to an altar where you can bring it before the Lord, kind of make a defining moment for yourself, or you can stand here at the front and just offer it to God and say, God, I, I confess this to you. I need you to do your, your redeeming and transforming work in my life. I need you to rebuild something out of me. 
whatever moment you need to have with God, you have it over these next few moments. And after we've sung this song, I want to lead us in a prayer. Make this your time. Give your failures over to God. Just see what he can do with you. Everybody look at me for a second. I want, I want you to do something this morning. I want you to just hold your hands out in front of you just like this. And I just want you to envision this morning whatever failure that you're dealing with today, whatever failure you're needing to yield, whatever failure you're tired of having control in your life, I just want you to picture having it there. And beneath it, I want you to see the sea of God's forgetfulness. And here's what I want you to do. I just want you to turn your hands upside down. Let it go. Let's give it to God. Father, as we come before you today, we confess before you that your grace is greater than all of our sin, greater than all of our failures, greater than all of our mistakes, greater than all of our past. Lord, today we let it go. We not only own it, we not only admit that, Lord, that failure is ours, but God, we give it to you. And we claim the forgiveness and grace that only you can give. Father, help us to not take it back. Lord, help us to not give the enemy a foothold to use, to keep beating ourselves up over the things that you've already died on the cross for. Help us to release it to you. Father, I pray going forward from this place that you would give us the courage to seek out a trusted friend, a trusted companion, someone that we could confess our failures to, who could put a hand on our shoulder so that we might know that there is power in community. Lord, your word says that when we confess our sins to one another, we can be healed. And Lord, as we give you these failures, we open our hearts to you for you to rebuild something new, something good, something beautiful out of our lives. Oh, Father, we love you today. You are the God of the miraculous what you did for Peter, would you do that for us? In the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. And everyone said, amen.